Elon Musk is not an anti-Semite. I see no reason to believe that he is. Candace Owens, on the other hand, in my opinion, is an anti-Semite. Candace has a long track record of making vicious, vicious, hateful comments about Jews. And with her, it's not three strikes you're out. It's like ten strikes you're out. And I don't care that she happens to be conservative and that we happen to overlap in a lot of areas. You know, she, you know, we, maybe we agree about COVID vaccines. Maybe we agree about the border. But Candace Owens is anti-Semitic and she should be fired from the Daily Wire. Daily Wire has put out an official reason why they don't fire her. But their reason does not make sense to me. I'm going to explain that coming up. Unlike Elon Musk, who has a very strong track record, he's been very supportive of Jews. And he did make a comment that people consider controversial. I don't think it was that bad. I don't think it wasn't a good comment. But and by the way, Elon Musk, unlike Candace Owens, he's not conservative. Elon Musk, he's very pro-free speech and he's anti-censorship, but he's not particularly conservative. And uh, even so, it's not about politics. I'm not letting politics cloud my judgment here. At least I don't think so. I'm trying to be as intellectually honest as possible. So I'll break all of that down coming up. The city of Washington, D.C., has a new initiative to tackle car thefts. Car thefts and carjacking in Washington, D.C., as we have reported, is rampant. It's out of control. Well, Washington, D.C., they have a new approach. No, it's not more policemen. It's not more arrests. And it's not putting car thieves in jail, of course, because DC, Washington, D.C. is woke and they've defunded the police force. It's, they're giving out free dash cams and free Apple AirTags. So this is the brilliant new strategy here. Washington, D.C., they say enough is enough. No more carjacking. A congressman literally was carjacked, I believe at gunpoint. A diplomat from the UAE was carjacked in D.C. Senate staffers in D.C. are told, do not help a stranded motorist fix a flat tire. Keep on driving because it's too dangerous. You know you're in trouble. So you know how you know things are bad? When diplomats from like third world countries in the Middle East say, you know what? I'm not going to Washington, D.C. You know, there's like a foreign diplomat, like an ambassador in a war zone. And, you know, we got to go meet President Biden. Got to go Washington, D.C. Do we want you want me to go? Maybe we can send my deputy there instead. And he's like, I'd rather stay in Kabul. I'd rather stay in Islamabad than go to Washington, D.C. That place is a war zone. You can't make this stuff up. But at least unlike Chicago, at least Washington, D.C. is not suing Kia and Hyundai because they practically beg thieves to steal their cars. It's Kia's fault that all these cars are getting stolen. All right, and you got to love this. President Trump, in celebration of President Biden's 81st birthday, what did Trump do? This is so classic. Vintage Trump, he released a letter, a medical report, a letter from his own doctor saying that he is in excellent physical health. Happy birthday, President Biden. You cannot make this stuff up. How can you not enjoy whatever your side you're on? How can you not appreciate? But the mean tweets. What about Trump? All those nasty tweets. Remember the economy was booming. The border was, uh, was, was, was safe. No, there was no border cross. No illegals coming across. Iran was in shambles and their nuclear program was in shambles. And, but, but the mean tweets. And by the way, did you notice suddenly these political analysts, these experts are suddenly saying, Oh, I think Trump could win the general election if Biden is the nominee. Trump has a strong chance. Isn't that a shocker? Remember a few weeks ago with all the uh, all the indictments and, and, and everything else with Trump and then he met with Kanye West and, uh, oh, Trump, oh, he's toxic. Trump has no chance. And suddenly I'm hearing mainstream political analysts, not all of them, but they're saying, yeah, I think Trump has a strong chance against Biden. Biden is, Biden's liabilities are so colossal. I mean, the economy and, and, and Iranian terror and the border and, and people are miserable. People are miserable. And 
we've been saying this for the longest time. Now the polls, people, they, they, these experts, they just follow the polls. Okay, I don't believe in these polls, but and I don't. I'm not saying that Trump is a slam dunk. Okay, and che- cheating and rigging and who knows what else, universal mail and ballots. But suddenly the tides are shifting. It's like no, we couldn't see it. It's not possible. Look at Trump. He's getting he that 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 man. He is so 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 toxic. There's no way he can win. Oh, suddenly he has winnability again because the polls say so. I, so I find that. Pretty interesting. All right, so listen, but we're going to get to Candace Owens. We're going to get to Elon Musk. But before that, I need to respond to some callers. Multiple callers reached out about different issues, and some of them were very fundamental. So I actually want to respond to that. I want to take a few minutes to respond to different callers. And I'm thinking maybe one of these days we should do like an Ask Me Anything. We should do a show one day dedicated to just taking, uh, responding to questions. We can have uh, people either leave voicemails or send me an email and uh, ask me anything on your mind, politics-related, personal. I'm, I may, no guarantee that I'll respond to every question, but we could kind of collect a bunch of questions. It might actually be a lot of fun. So kind of keep on the lookout for that. Welcome to the Akavem Show on VIN News, Yeshiva International, Nucky Radio, and other platforms. Send us an email about anything. Josh at VINnews.com, Josh at VINnews.com. You can ask me a question already. I don't know if I'll respond. I don't know if I'll respond on the air. A lot of times I respond to the emails one-on-one. Um, one caller had a problem with my theory. He called it my theory that the left is behind the Biden classified document scandal and the left is behind the investigation into Joe Biden uh, mishandling of classified documents. And the way the caller here, here was the issue with the caller. He said, come on, you're telling me because I keep saying that the most likely and I have no idea. We have no idea. Uh, number one, why they turned over the classified documents. And number two, you know, we don't even really know what prompted it. Why were they even looking for it? Because it was hidden in some, as we know, I mean, there are a bunch of batches all over. But, you know, if you find a, bat, a random batch of documents in, like, the corner of your garage collecting dust, it may actually be classified documents left there by Joe Biden. <laughs> but uh, so, so we have no idea what was behind it, what prompted it or any of that. But the caller said, oh, listen, you have this theory that it's really uh, done by the left, like a conspiracy on, on the part of the, 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 the Democrats because they want to create a scandal because they want to pr- pressure Biden to drop out of the race. So they're hoping the classified document scandal would be enough to drop, you know, to force Biden to drop out, especially since it was like the same scandal that Trump is getting indicted for. So the caller said, listen, you're building up, you have no evidence. So you're, you're building up this like, you know, this theory, you're, you're, you're like building up this like fantasy and like it's baseless. That was like the caller's point. Now, the caller didn't tell me exactly which part he disagrees with because the caller made it sound as though like he believed that this actually came from Republicans, that Republicans are the ones who discovered the classified documents. And that is clearly not true. I, I, I wasn't clear. That's what the caller made it sound like. Where are you getting this from? That this is a Democrat. This is a Democrat. Uh, this was prompted by the Democrats, the classified document scandal with Biden. And that's a fact. That's not disputed. There is no debating that Democrats did it. In fact, Biden's own lawyers are the ones who first discovered the uh, the first batch of classified documents and then alerted the authorities, the archives, whatever. And that led prompted to an investigation. And only, by the way, the special counsel was only appointed once it was leaked to the public. So Biden was never going to do that until it was leaked, until the media discovered it. And then, of course, it became a whole big scandal. But that was not debated whether or not Democrats, this Democrats, this started with the Democrats, started with Biden's own people. And the only thing, so that's not, that's a fact. So you cannot debate. So then the question becomes, well, why? Why would they turn over? And don't tell me, well, because they're just being honest, because it's their integrity. Honesty and integrity. They found classified documents, so of course they needed to report it. I'm sorry. I just do not believe that these political operatives 
find these classified documents that nobody's aware of, and they decided honor system. Well, why are they even looking for them, by the way? Why were they looking for them? No, they've never come out. They, again, they're not being transparent. They're hiding everything. It's all buried. So all I'm saying is, well, we have Biden's own people announcing that he was storing classified documents illegally. But he's cooperating now, so don't uh, don't charge him. Don't indict him. So all I'm saying is, well, why would they do that? So to me, as likely a scenario, if you have a more likely scenario, okay, I'm not buying the honor system, but um, you know, maybe, maybe that's what it is. But to me, it's just as likely as being the honor system that they're trying to sabotage Biden. So that was my only point. So I'm not sure exactly which, yeah, if we didn't know who actually reported it, but we know who reported it. Democrats reported it. The only question is why. So to me, g- give me another explanation that's equally likely to the fact that they're trying to sabotage Biden and maybe even Obama's own people. We know a lot of Biden people are really from the Obama administration. So that was my point about that. But again, I'm not saying that it certainly was. That was certainly the scenario here. They're trying to sabotage Biden. That's why they did this, because they want to undermine him. They want to knock him out. I hear left and right. I hear all over the place, the media, Democrats, David Axelrod now. He's very strongly uh, pushing for Biden to step down. He says, terrible idea for Biden to run again. He's a top Obama operative for many years, big Democrat, you know, uh, political consultant. So that's just to me the most likely scenario. Uh, the caller, the same caller said, well, let's say that I'm right. Let's say that I'm right that this really came from the Democrats, which again, it did. So he said, well, why would they not prosecute Biden also? Why would they not indict him? Why would they make it into a scandal, have an investigation and then not indict him too? And I don't understand. That was my whole point. My whole point. I don't understand that question because my whole point was that all they want to do is push him. They would never indict a Democrat president. Again, the uh, you know, the deep state or whatever you want to call it, the establishment, the DOJ, they would never indict. They only indict Trump. They only indict Republicans. They don't indict Democrats. They never get indicted. Even look at Hunter Biden. I mean, that man has committed almost every crime under the sun and and, and they can't get an indictment on him. So they, they, they do not do that. So they, they only that was my whole point. My whole point is, yeah, why don't they indict him? Because they're only trying to push him out. It's just convenient to, to, to just uh, make sure that he doesn't run again. The other thing, I'll just mention this very briefly. The caller quoted, when the caller was attacking me, he said, listen, you're building up this whole, and again, I'm not saying that this is for sure the reality. I'm just suggesting that it's a scenario. But caller said, you know, we don't build up, like you're building this whole skyscraper and it's based on nothing. The caller invoked uh, his Rebbe. So I'll just, I'll share this because I think it's fascinating. The caller said that the Rebbe used to tell him, uh, you don't take a diuk. If you have a diuk in, let's say, a Rishon, a diuk in one of the Mepharshim, when you're learning Gemara, you don't take that diuk and turn it into a skyscraper. You don't build a whole shtickle toira, as they call it. You don't build a whole thing out of a diuk. A diuk is a good, you know, it could be a good diuk and it's a, it's, it's a good, it's, it's an important tool. It's an important tool. It's not the right word, but it's an important thing to notice and to observe. And it, it certainly has, you know, there's a lot of uh, place place for it. But to go take a diuk and then build something up that's kind of, um, let's say, a, a radical, uh, you don't build up a very radical thing based on a diuk. So a couple of points here. And then the caller kind of contradicted himself because the caller first called it a diuk. And then he said a kasha. You don't build a skyscraper based on a kasha, based on a diuk. He used them back and forth interchangeably. Now, to that, again, without getting too into this, but this is very fundamental because the Rebbe is 100% right that you do not build, if, if you have a diuk, if Rashi said something or a Rishon who they're very, very careful to word things properly, if they, if they say things uh, in a certain way that's unusual or, you know, not in the typical way we'd expect it, and based on that, you say, well, that indicates that maybe they don't mean what we thought they meant, so uh, that's 100% true. You can't go too far. It's a diuk. So a diuk, let's call it, has its limitation. You're going to go and say something radical, something that is against what most people think, the conventional wisdom, what most Mepharshim say, but I think that that's what's being said here based on 
a diuk or two diukim, but no further evidence, no other big kashas, that's 100% true. But that's a diuk. The call the, the used it interchangeably, diuk and, and kasha. I'm certain that the Rebbe, you know, everything, every dramatic big shtickle toyer, every big chiddish uh, comes from some sort of kasha, right? That's what happens. You have, you have a question. Some questions are stronger than other questions. So a diuk is like, well, the wording, it should have been this way, not that way. Now, I don't want to minimize it. But I do understand that concept and agree that there's a limit to how much you could do based on a diuk and a risha. And by the way, I, I'll get to this in a second, but my point, but... um so I, I get that, but that's not true. Some kashas are just so earth-shattering that you have to make a, a big change in how you understand, a big shift in perspective in order to answer, to answer it up. So that's not true by every question. So now the debate here is, okay, well, how big a question is this? But you can't compare it. It's not apples to apples here. When I say, well, why are the Democrats turning over classified documents about Biden? So that's a question. That's not a diuk. That's like a kasha, right? That's like a question. That's, that's an unusual thing. You almost never hear about Democrats turning in their own president, who's their boss, and creating a scandal. Right? This just does not happen. So I think that's a very, very strong question. The caller's maybe point is, well, that's not such a strong question. So why are you building these big, big conspiracy theories? I don't think it's a conspiracy theory, but also I think it's a very valid question. So um, I just want to harp on what the caller said. Diuk, diuk is let's call it not as strong evidence. The, the idea is as follows, right? A diuk sometimes maybe can be not as strong an indicator. So now if you're going to dream up something that's let's call it unlikely. An unlikely answer, uh, but but it's possible, but it's unlikely. You need a really strong question. A re- you need really strong evidence to suggest if you're going to go and say something radical. That was the point. But this is not comparable to that, and I hope I'm clear about that. And I just want to point out, by the way, there were many times in my life when I was younger. I'm very into Diukim, and I'm into languages and words, and especially in Rashi and uh, other Rishonim, but especially Rashi. The Chidah, the Chidah says that Rashi says, Kama Chidushim Bishinui Aisachas. Again, without getting too into this, but, uh, you know, Rashi, one little letter that changes, and you have to ask yourself why. And I used to build big things up based on these diukim, based on Rashi saying things a certain way that I thought he should say a different way, and, and that indicated to me that he meant something different than what we all assumed, but I used to get carried away. What I realized is, I kept the diukim. Later, I'll look at it, and I'll say, oh, wait a second. This diuk is accurate, but sometimes you can explain the same diuk in a way that's much less radical. I used to go jump to the radical thing, and as I matured and as I got, I guess, more discipline, let's call it, in learning, I would take the same diuk, but then I realized, oh, but Rashi could just mean X, Y, Z, and it still meant something. It was a meaningful thing, but I didn't have to get as carried away as I did. Obviously, this is very abstract. Moving on, that same caller said, you know, I made another point last time. I said that the government shut down. CNN is being alarmist and warning us about how the holiday weekend is coming, the government shutdown, which didn't happen in the end, but it was scheduled right before holiday weekend. That's going to be a disaster. And I said, that's all rigged. Okay. That was rigged by Congress. They, what, they didn't look at the calendar. They didn't know that it would end, that the government would shut down a few days before the holiday weekend and cause mayhem. So obviously that's by design. They rig it that way. They specifically intentionally make it, the, the, the package, the spending expire right before the holiday weekend because they want to add that pressure. And the caller said to me, all right, I'll buy that. That sounds really good. But what about the Republicans? He's like Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans. They're leading the House. They were the ones who passed this bill. So the caller said, if I'm right, that it's rigged, then uh, and of course they knew the calendar. So then w- what were the Republicans thinking? Now, again, that was my whole point. You know, the caller's assuming that, like, somehow the Republicans are the good guys. And, uh, you know, my point is that, look, they rig it this way. They plan it because they know they want to add pressure. Well, that explains the Democrats. But what about the Republicans? As though I'm saying it's the Democrats who rig the system and not the Republicans. They all rig the system. By now, I, I hope many of you realize that Kevin McCarthy is part of the swamp. He's part of the establishment. I- again, there are different levels. So I, I'm a- I happen to be a fan of Kevin McCarthy, a lot of what he does. But he's rigging. The Republicans rig it, too. That was my whole point. The Republicans, they want to spend. They want to spend. 
They're desperate to spend for all sorts of different reasons. They don't want to shut down the government, but they need an excuse. McCarthy needs an excuse more, but by the way, even more barely than the Democrats. Because Democrats is like, of course, we're not going to shut down the government. McCarthy, he's getting a lot of pressure from conservatives. So he needs like, oh, we need an excuse. So McCarthy has actually more motivation to rig it than the Democrats. So, yeah, you, you know, it's like a gotcha question. Like, oh, see, if you're right about your theory that they rig it to fall out right before the holiday weekend. So then what were the Republicans thinking? That is what the Republicans are thinking. They want to spend just as much as the Democrats. They just that's not their official policy. So they need to, like, do more contortions to make it happen. I, I think it's pretty simple. It's it, it, and. This is what I always say. I'm about ideology. I'm not about party. I'm not like pro-Republican. Republicans, Democrats are teams. So Republicans, yeah, I happen to fall in line more with Republicans than Democrats. But like, I don't believe in Republicans. This, this is very important. Is like, you have to realize, you have to put aside the, the, the politics of it and the, the teams and the parties and just think in terms of ideology of, okay, what do I want? What do I believe in? What are my values and my principles? And that changes everything because it's like, oh, well, why did the Republicans do this? Right. I never I never have to defend the Republicans because there's a lot of what they call rhinos, Republicans in name only, who are just indefensible. Right. They do a lot of those things. So once you start believing in people, you're in trouble. So just, you know, they, they could all theoretically do bad things. That's the point. You know, even with Trump, right? Sometimes people will say to me, oh, you're pro-Trump, which I am. I'm very, very pro-Trump. And I, th- I think he did amazing things as president. Uh, so, and, and now I think everybody sees that very clearly, even, even people who don't want to on the left don't want to admit it. So people say to me, well, if you're so pro-Trump, what about this? What about when he said this and when he said that? Like, and I have to defend it. I say back, I don't need to defend that because when I say I believe in Trump, I believe Trump does good things, but I also believe that Trump does lousy things. So the fact that he did a nasty tweet or he met with Kanye or whatever, or said something that he really, really inappropriate, um, about Bibi Netanyahu or any of that, which we'll get to in a second. I don't have to defend that because I'm not sitting here. Some people, it's like they put all their faith in that person, that leader, that politician, that president, that, 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 that party person. And it's like, oh, they have to defend him now because they believe in him. I don't believe in people. Okay. I, I, I do not, and you should not believe in people. Right. I'll tip to Kuben Adivim. I mean, it's pretty clear. Now, another caller defended the Clean Slate Act and said, listen, uh, you know, uh, you have to give a person a chance to repent. The person invoked forgiveness and repentance and tshuva and Yom Kippur. And the person said that, you know, it's so many years past, there has to be like a certain time period, grace period after they get out of jail for the, uh, and again, not getting into this, but the Clean Slate Act basically wipes the criminal background records off of most people after they come out of jail. So the person like compared it to a smoker who quits and, and, and said, look, somebody quits smoking, somebody's a smoker, so the health insurance premiums go up. And which I don't even know if that's accurate or not these days, because all sorts of law, it should, because they're, they're, they're more prone to get sick. But, um, it could be that that's considered discrimination or something. I don't know the rules. Well, let's just assume. So someone's a smoker, their health insurance costs go up. He said, then they quit smoking for 10 years. Do, do, shouldn't they have a right that their health insurance cause, uh, costs should go back to normal because they quit smoking? And my answer to that is very simple. I have no idea. But it depends. It depends. It's very simple. Are they a higher risk or not? So if the fact that they smoked at one point in time, yeah, certain things you can't repent. That's a perfect example for the opposite to me, which is, let's say the fact that they smoked for 10 years, now they quit 10 years for 10 years, but they smoked for 10 years, that makes them high risk for disease even now. So then, of course they should not. You can't repent. What are they supposed to repent? Maybe they should repent and then not be able to get lung sicknesses because they didn't smoke for the last 10 years, but they smoked for 10, 15 years, whatever it was. The answer is, it's just, that's just a reality. You can't like go back and undo the reality. So I actually don't even like the analogy unless you tell me now, once they quit for the years, they can reverse it. I have no idea. I, I, I doubt that that's true, but I don't know. Obviously, the longer a person smokes, the more, you know, the more chance they get of getting sick. But 
That was the analogy, but uh, but to me, no, I totally disagree, totally. In fact, that to me is a woke leftist bleeding heart mentality that I was exactly trying to, 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 to come against, which is, oh, people have a right to repent. I mean, we're going to start taking people off a of death off a of death row. People can, can come out of jail. In fact, and again, I don't want to invoke too much of, uh, you know, halacha and hashkafa. Uh, I, I, I'd rather just stay away from that because, uh, you know, let's call it, it's above my pay grade. But I mean, Bezdin Shalmat, Bezdin, if, if somebody's Chayav Misa, there's no such thing as a, that person doing tshuva and that person repenting, right? Uh, if somebody does something and they're Chayav Misa. So Bezdin carries out the Chayav Misa. Well, what do you mean? Maybe HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of course, can forgive them as far as uh, Bezdin Shalmala, as far as Einshim that are Bidei Shemayim, but Einshim Bidei Adam is given. And there's no way around that. And why? Very simply because we have no idea. We don't know what's in a person's head. And now you're talking about these criminals, these vicious, vicious, some of them violent criminals, these terrible criminals, and they spent, they, they did their time, right? 15, 20, 25 years. Oh, but now they're out of jail. They've been, they've been, they've been in society for eight years and they haven't gone back to jail. Oh, well, whoopee do congratulations. Let's give them a round of applause. Hey, everybody. They actually managed to stay out of jail for a few years. And who says they repented? The level of recidivism is huge. The people, they go back to crime. Sometimes crime is all they know. And even if for a few years they don't get caught or they manage to plea bargain or whatever, like that, there's no way to know. No, I'm sorry. We don't give people, I'm not saying that you should throw them in jail and, throw away the key. I'm not saying that we should never enable them to get back into society, but but it needs to be on the background check. People need to know they're a much higher risk of committing a crime and of committing a crime again than somebody who has no criminal background record. So I totally disagree with the notion that, oh, you know, um, Governor Hochul's right. That to me is, it's misplaced compassion is what that is. And finally, the co- a caller said last time I, I mentioned that uh, Bill Clinton multiple times called Hamas smart. We played you that clip. And the callers, and I said, well, Trump called Hamas smart, and he was uh, attacked for it. So the, the caller said, well, because you have to admit Trump's timing was terrible because Trump did it a few days after the attack. And I just want to add, I just want to point out that, yes, I criticized Trump for that. I think the timing was terrible. But people's issue was not just, and uh, I'm not defending it, people's issue was not just the timing because Trump said that Putin was smart. Trump has praised a lot of really evil people. And my point was, yeah, the timing of the Hamas comment was terrible, but that wasn't the only issue. People do not like when Trump praises the bad guys because they think when Trump praises the bad guys, he's condoning the bad guys. And I don't agree. And that's what I was pointing out from the Clinton clip. But you're right that uh, Trump never should have said it. And it was uh, it was it was it was deplorable that he said it. And I'll be the first to admit that. And finally, a caller pointed out, I forgot Vivek. I forgot Vivek Ramaswani, last time I was talking about the different uh, candidates in the Republican pool, in the Republican field, and um, you know, we, we mentioned Haley and Christie and the others, but uh, we forgot uh, Vivek Ramaswani. Nothing personal against Vivek. Uh, you know, I support a lot of Vivek's ideas. He's still an unknown, and there's certain things that he said about Israel, which have gotten me a little bit concerned, but I, I did not mean to leave him out. It was not intentional. Thank you for pointing that out. All right, once again, a climate prediction has been debunked. And this is fascinating. A climate prediction, and I see we're getting into a lot of uh, Tyredika and Hashkafa areas here, because this is also going to be one. A climate prediction about gl- dangerous global warming has been debunked because the scientists, and this is another one of those apocalyptic predictions about global warming and about how we're doomed, and it turns out that scientists were underrating nature's ability to adapt, and it turns out not just nature, because we don't, we know it's not nature, we know it's a Kodesh Baruch Hu, but you know, the, 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 um, the secular world is viewing this as, oh, look how incredible nature is, but it really is the Niflois Habayri, and it really is, look at uh, the, the world the Kodesh Baruch Hu created that can adapt and tra- change to all sorts of man-made Dangers. So it turns out scientists were ignoring 
the Neflois Abayre because they've been modeling. They're talking about irreversible damage being done by, by CO2 emissions, carbon dioxide emission, uh, emissions, and they underestimated the ability for plants to adapt. It turns out that plants are now adapting because there's more CO2 in the air, which supposedly is very dangerous and harmful and destroys the ozone layer and uh, causes global warming. Well, cl- plants are now absorbing more CO2, much more CO2. So the plants are actually rescuing us from man-made climate change. That's counteracting the dangerous emissions. So, you know, the alarmists basically say, oh, we're destroying the planet, and Akadosh Baruch Hu has other plans. It's very astonishing. A new study, this is a college in Ohio that came out with this study, and the study is very pro-climate change. So the study believes in climate change, but they've revised the projections. They say that plants are going to absorb 20% more carbon dioxide than predicted by the end of the century. So climate models that are, that are you know, warning us about doomsday, they're overestimating how fast the planet's going to warm because this college said that the research painted, quote, an uncharacteristic, the new research, in other words, the new study painted an uncharacteristically upbeat picture for the planet because we know they don't like doing that. They never have, they literally, that was their terms, an uncharacteristically upbeat picture for the planet, this new model, because they found that the the, the old model did not take into account all the elements of photosynthesis. During photosynthesis, which we all learned about in school, right, green plants use light energy from the sun to convert CO2, water, and minerals into sugars for growth. So scientists used to believe that climate change would weaken the photosynthesis process, but it turns out new research says plants adjust to the temperatures and they efficiently absorb carbon dioxide and continue to thrive. So the amount of carbon converted during photosynthesis could be up to 68% greater by the end of this century than it was at the start of the century and 20% more than some current models suggest. So the models are all off and plants are absorbing much more CO2 and thus the end of the world as we know it and global warming and irreversible damage has been totally exaggerated. So it's just incredible. And we saw the same thing, you know, pollution, that the severe weather is coming because there's less pollution. It's incredible that, uh, you know, it's not nature, it's a Kodesh Baruch Hu and the Neflas Abayri and the Bria that they adapt and protect the planet from harm. All right, let's get to Candace Owens. Let's get to Elon Musk. I'll play you some clips of Candace Owens. Um, the first question really is, how do we define anti-Semitism in the first place? It's not always as simple as you think. I've thought a lot about this because, you know, most people do not say Jews are vermin, right? Most people are just not going to say, you know, go out and announce that they're anti, I'm an anti-Semite or Jews are vermin. If somebody says that, it's pretty clear. But it's not, it's, a lot of times it's more subtle, it's more nuanced. So anti-Semitism is hatred of Jews, bigotry against Jews, because they identify as Jews. Now, if you criticize a group of Jews, that's not anti-Semitism, right? If you criticize Israel, that's not always anti-Semitism. Just because I criticize a group of Jews, and, you know, that's like when people say, oh, you disagree with Obama, or oh, you're a racist, right? We have to be very careful. Somebody criticizing Jews, that's what Elon Musk did. He criticized the ADL, and that's what's getting him in all this hot water. And that itself, because that doesn't mean that you're prejudiced or that you hate Jews or that you're bigoted against Jews and criticizing Israel. Now, criticizing Israel, anti-Zionism, that is used by anti-Semites. That's always like that is their like cover. That's their code is I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm just BDS. I'm just anti-Zionist. So very often that's what masking that's they use that to mask their hatred of Jews. Okay, I don't hate Jews. I just hate Israel's policies. But so I get it. But 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 it's possible. I've seen people who are lovers of Jews, philo-Semites, as they call it. But they but they still criticize Israel policy. That is possible. I mean, anti-Semitism is looking down on Jews or disdaining or hating Jews because they are Jews. Now, on that note, we need to look at two things. We need to look at the content of what the person said, and we need to look at their track record. A lot of times, it's systemic. It's a trend, okay? So it's, it's a pattern. So it's not just any one. I mean, Candace Owens' situation, it's been happening since 2018, but there is just incredible recurring pattern. It is so clear. 
Okay, so uh, like, for example, let's say some random politician would say, you know, somebody pro-Israel, right? Let's say Biden would say, oh, support for Israel is all about the Benjamins. Or let's even say Trump would say that. I don't know. Pick a politician who's like very, very neutral. It's all about the Benjamin support for Israel, right? I would be very offended. And the comment would be, you know, an anti-Semitic trope. But is that enough to label them an anti-Semite? I don't know. I'd be reluctant if that's the only offense. As opposed to Elon Omar, who constantly accuses Israel of apartheid and, uh, you know, says, says all sorts of horrible things and, and is pro-radical Islam. That's a very different context, right? So for years, Candace Owens, she's been glorifying Hitler, Yamak Shemoy. She defended Kanye West and considers him a friend. He said vicious, vicious things about about Jews. I mean, things that are just uh, beyond human comprehension. And now recently, I'll play you the clips, Candace Owens accused Israel of apartheid, hinted that Israel is guilty of genocide, and she invokes these anti-Semitic tropes. She like uh, She's literally this dangerous, unapologetic person. Uh, so ma- now maybe she's right about certain, some of her conservative principles. Let, so let me just go through some of the things that uh, she has said. Okay, she in, in 2018, let me see if I could find this quote. Um, in 2018, she said... Oh, wow, I don't have this quote. But in 2018, she said that basically what Hitler did, the Hitler's problem, she said nobody would have had a problem with Hitler if he had just done it in Germany. And his problem was that he went global and he tried to globalize what he was doing. But if he had just remained in Germany and been a, and been a nationalist in Germany, that would not have been a problem. She was basically condoning what Hitler, Yamak Shemoy, did. Okay, that's one thing that she said back all the way in 2018. As I said, she defended Kanye. Um and she's unapologetic, okay? Last year she tweeted, quote, anybody correlating Kanye to Adolf Hitler should no longer be taken seriously as a commentator, politician, or a journalist. Uh, just an absolute joke. That's last year, okay? Kanye, a few weeks later, said, um, they talking about the Nazis, he said they did good things too, the Nazis, he said, we've got to stop insulting the Nazis all the time. I see good things about Hitler. I like Hitler. Nazis are kind of cool, end quote. Kanye West said that. Kanye West, he was on Alex Jones's podcast. Alex Jones is very extremist. And, and, and even Alex Jones was pushing back. That's how far Kanye went. And, and, and Candace Owens continued to defend him even after that. And she defended the reading and the selling of Mein Kampf, okay? After Carrie Oving promoted a very anti-Semitic movie on, on Amazon, Owens defended him. She said, quote, you know how I feel about free speech. People have a right to be wrong. People have a right to take in information. People have a right to read what they want. If you go on Amazon right now, you can order and read Mein Kampf. It's not an endorsement of Adolf Hitler to read a historical textbook. And the idea that we should be censoring all this information, nobody should see it because it hurts some group of people. To me, that does not get with our First Amendment rights. So again, each of these comments, uh, one to the next, you could just kind of write off, but it's a systemic pattern. They're, it's vicious one after the next, okay? And sometimes, by the way, that's like the worst kind of anti-Semite, when, like, they just toe the line, and then they smile at you and gaslight you, and, oh, that's not, uh, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm not an anti-Semite. You know, some of my best friends are Jewish. I don't look, I'm on Daily Wire, which we'll get to that in a moment, you know? So that's run by that's run by one of the most uh, popular Jews in the, in the country. But her ro- most recent comments were the worst, okay? In early November... After Israel was re- retaliating against Hamas, against Gaza, she, she tweeted, quote, no government anywhere has a right to commit genocide ever. There is no justification for genocide. I cannot believe this even needs to be said. She said government, and she did not say that after October 7th. She said it in November. Okay, so, and then she insisted, of course, that she was not referring to any specific country. So again, with the gaslighting, that's really, really amazing timing. And uh, and then she basically said that Israel, uh, she, she she suggested that Muslims are forced to live in the Muslim quarter in Israel. And she said these terrible, terrible things about Israel. Uh, let me, uh, she was basically, she was interviewing um, on her podcast, interviewing a Jewish, I guess, comedian named Ami Kozak. So listen to this clip. 
So and any legitimacy, any any legitimacy to a Jewish person that says, you know, we keep the Torah. I mean, you, obviously, you've seen these protests of Jewish people that are standing out yeah. there. But we just believe that the Zionist movement is entirely political, is what they're saying, and has nothing to do with actually being Jewish. Obviously, these people are Jewish. She's referring to the um, And some, I think some of them are Hasidic Jews, actually. And they're saying— Well, no, that, no. That's, that's good. That, that, that's like the Westboro Baptist Church of Jews, Westboro Baptist Church of Jews, the Hasidic Jews. To say that those people are Christians, that's, that's basically what we're—when making a comparison, they're used as tokens in the same way, you know— Leftist white people are lo- used in, in BLM rights to say, you see, you see, they, they, they succumb to our, uh, to our whims and they feel guilty and therefore all white people should be guilty for crimes of the past that they did not commit. Yeah, well, I because I have so Jewish yeah. friends that are pro-Israel and I have Jewish friends mm-hmm. that say that they, are, they just do not support Zionism at all and that they think that the creation mm-hmm. of the Israel state is something that is political and has nothing to do with actually the Jewish faith at all. And so mm-hmm. I listen to both of those sides. I try to hear both of those voices. And right. I don't think having a different perspective makes any person less Jewish. And I think it's been problematic to hear, and this is not you, this isn't a criticism towards you, mm-hmm. when they say, well, to even have that perspective makes you not Jewish because it's so reminiscent right. for me of me saying I'm a black conservative. And they say, I, oh, well, even I, to be a black Republican, my grandfather grew up in a segregated South. And so when I'm walking mm-hmm. through Jerusalem and you see, and they say, these are the Muslim quarters, this is where the Muslims are right. allowed to live. That doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a bastion of freedom to me. Um, so, I guess. Oh, I, I don't think it's where they're allowed to live in Jerusalem. I think it's that there are there's an Armenian quarter. It's not saying the Armenians can only live here. It's that there are communities just like there's a, a Jewish community in in Jersey here and there's a Muslim community in here. I don't think, you know, you know, it was noticeably a lot dirtier. It was noticeably a lot darker. Um, and it just made me feel as a black American and knowing my own history that this is not mm-hmm. this isn't freedom to me. Like if you can't just decide, like, I want to but I want to live on that street or I want to live on this but, street. But maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. And it wasn't. Right. They were just all that might have been a Really? Yes, yes, they were choosing to live a sickening stuff here. First of all, there's a Jewish quarter, by the way. And uh, yeah, she's compared. It's like Chinatown, a Muslim quarter. I mean, Muslims live all over Israel, all over Jerusalem. So she's clearly either uninformed or whatever, but vicious, vicious stuff there, literally accusing Israel of segregating Muslims and of and of putting them, relegating them to like one, like 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 a concentration camp. I mean, like that's what the Chinese do to the Uyghurs, by the way, who are Muslims. All right. And then in this next clip, same interview, she basically is blaming Jews, classic anti-Semitic trope, blaming Jews for the rise and anti-Semitism. Listen to this. Imagine if you went into an inner city in the United States and somebody told you this is a predominantly black neighborhood and you said it looked more run down. Would you say that America is systemically racist because if of I was these giving cities? a tour of it, I wouldn't say this is the black quarters. Probably. Uh-huh. Or this is a black neighborhood. But maybe somebody in the group might misunderstand that. Without question, right now, there has been a total collapse of support for pro-Israel. I think the quickest collapse, that I, I've been shocked by it. I've been following it. I've been trying to understand it because I'm very interested when the cultural mood swings. And mm-hmm. my read on it, uh, which is what I've been expressing on Twitter, is that I think what's happened here is that people are feeling like they can't even speak about this subject or they can't talk to a person like the way that you and I are, are speaking without being called mm-hmm. a Jew hater. And so it's kind of creating this weird situation where actually it's furthering the problem to keep calling people Jew haters. It's furthering the problem to call people anti-Semitic. It would be more helpful to actually try to see where you connect and see how you're feeling because it humanizes things. It's like, listen, I'm not Jewish, so I don't feel as radically or as you know motivated as you do about the situation that's happening. I'm, I am being selfish and American and saying I don't want a single dollar to go overseas because we've been in a bunch of useless wars. And that might be upsetting right. to hear, but there's no anti-Semitism in my heart when I say it. It's just me being mm-hmm. consistent in how I've always felt until 
something personal happens to me. My family's from St. Thomas. And then suddenly I'm like, why isn't every single person aware of the plight of people in St. Thomas today? Um, Mm. Do you think that Jewish people in their emotional state are perhaps contributing to less support for Israel and not realizing that they're doing it unwittingly? You know, I would say no. I, I think the the danger is when the Queen of Jordan uh, makes a statement like calling out anti-Semitism when you see it is weaponizing anti-Semitism. Unbelievable. So Jewish people in their emotional state are actually increasing and causing the anti-Semitism. Classic, classic anti-Semitic tropes there. All right. So the Daily Wire's Jeremy Boring, who's the CEO, they're saying that Ben Shapiro, even though he's one of the founders, they're saying he doesn't have firing power. But Jeremy Boring says that even if he did have, even if Ben Shapiro had firing power, and even Jeremy Boring, he said he's right now on leave of absence. So he doesn't have firing power. But but let me read you the quote here, because he's defending why Daily Wire is not firing her. Even if we could, we would not fire Candace Owens because we have in common the desire not to regulate the speech of our hosts, even when we disagree with them. Candace is paid to give her opinion, not mine or Ben's. Unlike those opinions, unless those opinions run afoul of the law, she violates terms of her contract. Her job is secure and she is welcome at Daily Wire. Now, one second over here. One second. How pitifully weak is that? Would they employ anybody who they disagree with because they didn't do something illegal? I mean, don't they have a certain value? I've noticed that they don't have a lot of liberals on uh, Daily Wire. Would they employ Kanye West? Adidas dropped Kanye West. So if somebody goes against your core values, at the very least, Candace Owens, she does not espouse your values, right? Well, she's not paid to give our opinions. One second. I mean, would you employ Barack Obama, Elon Omar? Would you let Elon Omar? She has freedom of speech. Bernie Sanders? Like, who would you give a platform to? AOC? They don't give a platform to just anybody. You're giving a platform to somebody who is is saying things that are extremely, extremely hurtful and offensive, even Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro said to her, by all means, quit. So again, he's not firing her. So I don't understand. And that's not the reason. Either it's because she generates a lot of clicks. Maybe they're afraid because they're afraid of being accused of racism. But like the notion you can never fire her because that would be considered censoring her. You're allowed to fire somebody if they don't represent your brand or if there's somebody who just totally says vicious, vicious things in the instant of freedom of speech, you can never fire anybody. It doesn't make any sense. You know, I think they would fire Trump before they fire Candace Owens and you're going to say, well, but she already works there, so that's different. They didn't know what they were getting themselves into. That that, that still doesn't hold water. If they hired somebody who was uh, a conservative and then that person flipped to liberal or flipped to socialist or flipped to being anti-pro-BDS, you know, pro BDS, they would they would get rid of that person. I, w- I would like to think if that person just became a total leftist. So, so the freedom of speech argument to me is ridiculous. As opposed to Elon Musk, I've never seen him say anything remotely anti-Semitic. So everybody's having a meltdown. He made these one this one comment, which was unfortunate, which I'll get to. But he didn't make any anti-Semitic comments. He's been a target of the ADL. The ADL literally boycotted Musk when he first took over Twitter. So that got him furious. And what I believe is the ADL, the ADL is very leftist and they don't promote Jewish values and they don't uh, bash people who are the real dangers like like Ocasio and like Tlaib and, and Elon Omar because they're leftist. OK, but uh, I think they're baiting Elon Musk. They want him to say things that are anti-ADL that are also anti-Semitic. Elon Musk said we should get rid of the A and call it the defamation league. And he is he is threatened to sue the ADL for defamation. Um, so and by the way, now what he's done is. Musk, he actually, all right, so the, the comment was basically, it was, uh, somebody said something about how Jews are essentially, um, that there are a lot of Jews out there, or that Jews have created white hate, have created hatred of whites. See, I guess I'll get to that in a moment. And Musk affirmed the tweet. That's the, the big thing that people are upset about. And he should not have done it, and it was wrong, but he, he basically agreed to the tweet. Oh, yeah, Jews are, are basically have created hatred of whites and have been pro-minority, propped up minorities, and now it's coming back to haunt them. And Musk said that. So there's something called the Great Replacement Theory. There's an anti-Semitic trope where that, the, I guess, suggests something like Jews are trying to replace the white man or some insane thing. 
And that was what was being alluded to, I guess, in this tweet, whatever. But what Musk was really trying to say is that there's a segment of the Jewish population, and he's right about this, who is anti-white, okay? The, the ADL and a lot of the leftist Jews and the secular and Democrat Jews, what they've done is they've propped up minorities at the expense of whites, and they basically make it whites are bad, and they have this, like, white guilt. And that's hurting Elon Musk. It's destroying Elon Musk. And, and, and that's the antithesis of, and they censor white people. And they, they censor anybody who disagrees with them. And that's what Musk is trying to avoid. By the way, Musk then announced a huge crackdown on anti-Semitism in response after this whole uh, fiasco and his whole controversy. And he said that the words decolonization and the phrase from the river to the sea imply genocide. And he's going to crack down and suspend Twitter users if they, if they basically uh, have calls for extreme violence against Jews or against any group. Um, so, so, uh, and on September 4th, Musk said that the ADL is trying to kill Twitter by falsely accusing him of being anti-Semitic. And he said that ADL was responsible for 60% drop in revenue at Twitter. And he, he said he was going to sue them for defamation, and he tweeted, oh, the irony, meaning the irony that the Anti-Defamation League is being sued for defamation. defamation. So... Let's see. As I said, there was an account attacking Jews saying that they promote anti-white sentiments and now they've promoted white hate. And this is true. There are many Jews out there who have done this. Now, it's not the majority of Jews. And this person who posted it is probably anti-Semitic. And by the way, Musk later clarified. He said, I'm not referring to all Jews, even when I say that that tweet was true. He, but, but he said, it's not only the ADL that goes beyond that. So he's right. There's a lot of leftist and Democrat Jews who are causing a lot of damage because they're really basically embracing the woke left and they're, and they're embracing anti-Semites. And that was Elon Musk's point. Now, he shouldn't. He, he overgeneralized. He made it sound as though he's, he's, he's targeting all Jews. And later he clarified. But there is a very significant segment of those Jews on the woke left. And they have this like self-hating guilt. And Musk has been a big victim of that. So and then he agreed and affirmed an anti-Semitic tweet, which he should not have done. And I condemn that. And he should apologize. And I don't think he did. But he's not anti-Semite. There is nothing there at all that would suggest he's an anti-Semite. He's just pointing out that there is this contingent of Jews. And he's right. Now, there's another debate, which is there's been an increase in anti-Semitism since Musk took over. That's not because Musk is an anti-Semite. That's because Musk is pro-free speech. And there are some people who say, listen, too much free speech is not good because then the anti-Semites all come loose. They say it's actually better to censor speech because then that's going to censor the hate against Jews. I'm, I'm very torn. I literally go back and forth. I waver. I don't know. Because I believe that when you censor, you're going to censor not just anti-Semites, you're going to censor the Jews, and the Jews are going to suffer. I believe it's ultimately going to be used to, to silence Jews. So I, my, 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 my strong inclination is to be pro-free speech, but then I hear people tell me, listen, when there's pro-free speech, it's just mayhem, it's chaotic, all the anti-Semites come loose, and you hear just insane, insane things. All right, uh, that's going to do it for today on this busy, busy day, and we will see you next time.